Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. Matt Prey, Merrick Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your spring game preview podcast. Uh, as of this recording, Friday morning on the 22nd, we're just a little over 24 hours away from this game. Um, and it, it should be duck day. That's kind of what the University of Oregon is promoting this as because as early as 10 a.m. Saturday morning, uh, there will be track and field events going on at Hayward Field that you can attend. Uh, There is a soccer game against Seattle U that goes off at 11 right next to Austin Stadium. Um, There's a pregame fan fest that starts at Austin and starts at 11 a.m. in the morning. Um, they're running shuttles like a typical game day. Um, there is the spring game, which is this podcast is going to be about. But you know, Jared, uh, I'm sure we'll have his eye a little bit towards PK Park in the afternoon with the baseball game against Washington State. Uh, softball has a game against Washington to cap off tonight. Um, it's There's a lot going on on Saturday. Um, certainly with the Oregon football program, um, but all over campus, all over the athletic department, and it's it's a big it's it's turning into a really big event. There's a, a concert too, apparently, yeah. which I mm-hmm. guess most people knew about, and I learned about like three days ago when Oregon tweeted about it. I, I think it's fun. Um, just a lot of like the the things are working around this. Michael James is going to be a, a part of it with some sort of tailgating giveaway. Um, Darren Barkins is racing fans in a, I think a forty meters. Um, so there's there's like all these kind of little fun components that they're building into this to, as you said, Matt, make this like a really special day, not just uh, your traditional spring football game, which in and of itself is fun. But I'll, I'll be curious to see kind of how how fun this day feels. And it's not again, it's not just like one or two elements. It's like a bunch of things going on and coinciding together that should make for a pretty fun fan experience. If you if you wanted to come down and and make a day of it, and if you're from Portland and show up at nine o'clock, you can watch soccer and go to all, all these things and maybe go home after watching some baseball and softball in the evening or, or stay overnight. And then, you know, maybe you, you leave drive up Sunday and there's just a bunch of things to kind of be a part of with obviously the spring game being the headliner. But yeah, a lot of fun things. I, I like the idea that Oregon is doing this as a duck day. Um, it's also parents weekend for the students. Uh, there's also a track meets that are going on. The Oregon relays start today on Friday and go into tomorrow, which is Saturday. Um, I, I plan on attending at least one of the days for the relays. It's going to be a blast. Um, they I mean, Oregon has done this in the past where it's a lot of events on one day on the spring game, um, but it's usually just like a baseball game or a softball game. The fact that they have this many events that can appeal to a, a huge a variety of an audience is really important. Um, just gives the the fans an, an, an opportunity to go see a, the football game, which I think is going to be the main attraction. But, you know, the softball team's been good this year. The baseball team's been good this year. 
Uh, it gives opportunity for fans to go see the new Hayward Field. Uh, it's just a really good job by the University of Oregon. And uh, specifically, like the football team has been really hyping up everybody else as well. Um, obviously, they they have to know that they're the main attraction. Um, but a lot of tweets from a lot of coaches about, hey, get to the baseball game. Hey, get to the softball game. Hey, soccer, uh, all of these events. So it's a good, well-collaborated effort by the University of Oregon. I think this should be... I think this would be the prototypical spring game event list going forward. I think it would really benefit uh, the university as a whole if they keep continuing to do this. Though there will be some new faces around the Oregon football program. We know this, but there's also going to be a spring, a lot of stuff that uh, a lot of Duck fans will remember that will be very familiar. Um, there's going to be the U.S. Army and the Oregon ROTC will be hosting activities in the Mo from 11 to, to 1. Um, there's going to be military setups from the National Guard, the Marine Corps, uh, and the Navy. They're, you know, they're, that, that includes a howitzer cannon, uh, some kind of fighting vehicle, a high mobility vehicle, and a Zodiac. Um, and then there's, there's going to be a helicopter flyover with the U.S. Coast Guard. And then I think one thing that never should have ended uh, when Willie Taggart started as head coach and then Cristobal took over, neither of these guys implemented this, uh, but Dan Lanning is bringing it back. And that is a um, post-game, uh, I guess, spring game exchange between the athletes and mil active military members, football uh, first responders, uh, and, and in the Oregon football team. So uh, that is coming back to Oregon um, this weekend. If you're unable to walk, to get to Eugene, uh, the game is on the Pac-12 networks. It starts at 1 o'clock. Uh, hard 3 p.m. ending. I think that's the, one of the great things about the spring game is it, it's two hours. That's it. And this is a hard end because they want to um, – be able to present other teams opportunities for, for fans to watch. And quite honestly, the Pac-12 network has only got two hours slotted for it as well. So um, on the field, guys, there's a lot to, to watch here. I think there's a lot of things um, that we're all excited to see. Uh, it's the first time that fans will be in the, in the stands for the spring game. Eric, I think you said this yesterday when we were walking out of practice, like first time since 2019. Is that yep. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 2020 was canceled and 2021 Remember, like a couple days before the spring game, they changed the COVID policies and no fans were allowed. So we, we were at that one, but fans haven't been at one for gosh, three years. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see who goes, whether I mean, we, we joked about this a couple weeks ago or earlier this week on the podcast, like what's the weather going to be like? Uh, it's looking really nice. And from a storyline perspective, um, I'll start things off here. We're gonna we're gonna run through some storylines that we're all excited to see play out. And for me, it's it's just the offense in general. Um, there's been a lot of comments that have piqued my interest, piqued your guys's, certainly the fans, um, just about what Kenny Dillingham is installing. Um, most recently, Seven McGee got the fan base probably as excited as they possibly could be when he compared the offense to Chip Kelly of Oregon years. And I don't think he was referencing the fact that, hey, they're going blur and, you know, they're going to put up 50 points a game. But more so the fact that, like Chip Kelly's offense, 
he feels like this one puts guys in one-on-one situations and then it's up to that player to make the play to to get the explosion play so for me um you know, i'm not gonna hold oregon uh to the expectation that this offense needs to put up 45 points a game and 500 yards or more of offense every single game um but I, i'm i'm excited to see just kind of what the offense looks like what the the scheme looks like if we see much of it um and just there you know players have talked a lot about it i think coaches some coaches have talked a lot about it um and now for the first time we'll get a real good look ourselves um with this offense that was what i wanted to say but i'm going to simplify it and talk more about the quarterbacks um because matt you're right i think what seven said peaked interest spencer webb also talked about how exciting this offense was and how it felt kind of like a throwback Oregon offense, so kind of the same sort of comment. Um, you love hearing those kind of comments because, as you know, Jared, not as much. Matt and I grew up watching these teams out here when, when the, you know, the heyday of this and the height of this, and it was a completely different animal. And, well, Jared, you weren't in Eugene and going, no. to, going to college and, and kind of in the midst of it quite the same way. Um, I was watching and, them, though. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit, right? But I'm just saying it was a little different. Um, and so, like, to hear that does perk your interest in a, in a pretty significant way. And I, I can't lie, I went home afterwards and watched some of the Anthony Thomas highlights after Seven said that just because <laughs> I was like, this – and it's so fun watching DeAnthony. And I think, you know, we're going to talk about a player we're excited to see it for me later, but I'll kind of give it away. Like, maybe it's Seven just because the idea of somebody employing that sort of a role in an Oregon offense. And we should note, DeAnthony Thomas is the offensive captain for yeah. – Kevin McGee's team, uh, or, or honorary <laughs> coordinator, I guess is what they're saying. Like that is pretty cool and special just to think about that that role and how somebody could fit into that offense. But more more to the quarterbacks, like we've heard a lot about them. We've seen them rotate. We've watched minimal reps. I would imagine probably about twenty five reps amongst all five of them each, like independently. So you know about close to seventy five reps, I would say, through the spring it's pretty hard to draw many conclusions. And I think we are going to, you know, and people are clamoring and asking who looks good, who looks bad. Well, the reality is we haven't really seen enough to draw major conclusions. The spring game will offer us that opportunity. I expect we're going to see significantly more reps, you know, and, and there will be competitive reps. They will be built within an actual offense trying to accomplish scoring points as opposed to fastball where the concept is just to get aligned quickly and move the ball and get plays in quickly. Like we're going to actually see drives and how they manage them. We're going to get to see an opportunity to kind of get a feel for chemistry with different position players and groups. Like I just think the quarterback part to me can't be ignored as is probably one of the more central things we're watching on Saturday. I will go like overlaying statement, blanket statement like Matt did and go with the defense because uh, for the same reason that Matt wants to see, like what the formation is, what the offense looks like uh, in general, that's what I want to see with the defense. Um, and for all the reasons that Eric just outlined with the fastball period, like those are the lone 11 on 11 portions of practice that we get to watch. Um, you know, they're intense, they're high moving, but there's not, you know, ha probably half of them were in shells. So there weren't like full contact. Um, this will be an opportunity to see exactly, you know, how the defense lines up what the simulated pressures may look like if there are any. Um, and, and it'll be full pads. You'll be able to see and hear some of the thuds of hitting. Um, so that's like what I'm most excited for, just to see what the formations are, whether they run like that 4-2-5, which we've you know, kind of been accustomed to seeing 
with Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy's defense or whether they, you know, break out of a 4-3, a traditional 4-3-4 with, I don't know, if there's a two tight end set on offense, which is something that I'll be looking for just in general too. Um, I think the defense for me is one of the most important factors. Um, I think there are less concerns on the defensive end than there are on the offensive end, just because you have like Tosh Lupoy and Landing who come as like established defensive guys. But even still, I want to see what packages come out, what player personnel are on the field at the first time. Um, you know, see if Justin Flo plays, see if Noah Sewell plays. He's yeah. been you know under the weather recently. He was at practice on Thursday, so there's a good chance he does. But just to see who's the first team, if if they do like a first team, I guess not not really because they divided all the teams up. But you know, who's the first group? What do the cornerbacks look like without Dante Manning? And, and you know, does Christian Gonzalez play? Who was kind of limited on Thursday? Um, I think there's a whole bunch of question marks on the defense as well. Just maybe not in terms of the same type of question marks that are on offense. Um, I, I just uh, honestly, I'm just excited to watch the game in general um, and just kind of see exactly what is going on behind the scenes and the stuff that we really don't get to look at. From a recruiting perspective, there's going to be a lot of guys on campus. Um, the list is always revolving. Um, that's, I think, one of the fun, exciting, maybe also frustrating things with covering recruiting, covering an event like this is Oregon is expected to have over 20 guys, 25, 30 players in the 2024 class alone. A lot of them are five and four star players, but until they step foot on, on campus, even if they've confirmed with you, you've always kind of go in the back of your head, like, are they really going to be here? Are they going to show up? Um, we know five-star defensive lineman Jaden Wayne and David Hicks are going to be here. Five-star quarterback Jaden Rashada was supposed to be here uh, as recently as Wednesday. And then Thursday afternoon, uh, Brandon Huffman of 24-7 Sports reported that he would actually take an official visit to uh, Ole Miss this weekend. And then we'll be back at Oregon at a later time. Um, Dante Moore. Uh, another five-star quarterback. He's out of Michigan. He will be on campus next weekend for an official visit. Um, really, you know, things are progressing at that spot with quarterbacks, those two guys. Um, Samson Okunola is, a, is another five-star offensive lineman that is expected to be on campus. Um, a couple weeks ago, he said he was going to be here, but you know, I, I reached out, haven't heard from him yet this week, if he's for sure. Um, we also know that Five-star running back Richard Young from Florida is someone that's said he's going to be here in previous weeks. We'll see if he shows up. And then Mateo Ungolele is also supposed to potentially be here. We'll see if that happens as well. Those two guys are, are players that a couple weeks ago, a month ago, said they were, but as the date's gotten closer, haven't been able to confirm one way or the other. But that's just a list of the five stars. and Pretty, pretty impressive list. Uh, even if only two or three of those guys show up. Um, Kyle Casper, the 2023, now 2022 signee, will be here. Cole Martin, Oregon's 2023 uh, four-star DB commit, will be here as well. Uh, a lot of other four-star players from around the Pacific Northwest, California, and around the country, plus all the underclassmen um, will be here as well. To throw it to you guys here, just – what would be a successful recruiting weekend in your eyes? Like, 
I don't even know. Like, I, I in my eyes, they could have a really good weekend and not have a single verbal commitment from you know by Sunday evening. Yeah. No. I mean, of course, it can be successful. We probably won't have again a total way of measuring it until later. I think at the same time, you'd like to have some momentum, and those are felt most largely based upon commitments. And so, I think Matt on your quack chat, you said it at like one and a half. I think if it's over that number, that feels pretty good, and that means mm-hmm. if you get two, three, four. That's a that's a successful weekend. There are some big heavy hitters here, though, and a lot of these kids I don't, would imagine aren't going to pull the trigger quickly. And that's part of you know, kind of I guess swimming in the deep end is sometimes it's it's harder to get these kids to commit soon because they're going to want to go through the entirety of the process. And frankly, Oregon has to compete with Alabamas and LSU's and Clemson's and Ohio State's of the world, USC's now a little bit um, to, to land these players. And so that, that adds an added, you know, I guess an added element of, of difficulty. I also know that there's a couple of guys that have had some kind of recent, I don't want to say surges in crystal balls, but some interests there like, Offensive lineman Alani Noah was a player that has kind of been pointed to that apparently has a, a lot of Oregon interest. He'll be here, I think, according to Matt's visitor report list. Um, I don't know. Cody DeCambra is not going to be here, correct? But that's another player that's been kind of, I guess, uh, you've seen a lot of success or a lot of momentum in the crystal balls. Um, he was here the weekend long. before, though. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it probably doesn't commit while well, not being here, but there could be some momentum with him down the line. I'm just like trying to communicate. Like, I think there's probably reason to have some optimism that they come away with a commitment two or three, but you don't know. And it's hard to kind of suggest how some of these are going to go because sometimes kids are sometimes kids going, go in like maybe I'm not, and I'm not even saying this is necessarily the case, but like an Alani Noah, who we know as a, as Oregon as, as a kind of pretty close to the top of the list. Sometimes they go in kind of with a sense that they might pull the trigger Sometimes they don't go in with that idea at all, and they're just so blown away that they end up kind of heading home in a day or two later, deciding, "Yeah, this is this is the fit," or they decide on their campus that this well on campus is the fit. So it's it's kind of hard to I guess um, assess, make a prediction, but I think landing more than two would be probably considered a pretty successful weekend, and would certainly carry the, over the momentum which we've already started seeing now in recent weeks with um, Pame and then Kyler Casper committing, and obviously Josh Connell. Yeah, I I would have to agree with Matt where even if they don't land a commitment, a verbal commitment, I think it could still be a really important and impactful weekend for Oregon. Um, I think a worry of a lot of fans and I, I think us included were, you know, how would the recruiting go under Lanning because of how well it was going under Cristobal? Um, the list of people that Matt just named is pretty clear that it's it's going just fine. Even though they don't have like a twenty a big time twenty twenty three quarterback, they are expected to visit in the in the upcoming weeks after the spring game. Um, just a quick thing, Cody DeCambra. I spoke to him last week after his visit. He's expected to announce his commitment. He told me on May thirtieth, so it'll be in a month. But still, just you know, having these guys on campus is is what you want. Um, having these five stars, having these high four stars, having anybody on campus is really it because. There are, you know, we've interviewed dozens of recruits in the past, and every time they just rave about how Oregon is as a campus, how Oregon is as a football facility, how they take care of their students, how it's a family environment. Um, To get all of these players to get here on an unofficial is really important because it puts like a little bug in their ear about Oregon, about how now they're going to be comparing everywhere they go to, to Oregon and their facilities and their resources and NIL deals. And that's a huge step in the right direction for Oregon in, in its own right. So yeah, like obviously landing a verbal commitment or two, whatever the case may be, would be awesome. 
would be huge. But um, I think regardless, it'll still be a successful weekend. Um, I think it'll just you know lead to lead to those commitments down the line. Like these, this is like you know the baseline of of what you could what you should expect as a high level recruit from a high level university. Um, you know, just one of my favorites who are here, who might be here. We'll see. Like Matt said, it could. It's all kind of you know it's recruiting. It's really fluid. But Samson Okanola, uh, Massachusetts native. We love it. Uh, five star. He's like one of the, one of the best prospects out of the state of Massachusetts for a long time. So if he's making the trip from Massachusetts to Eugene, you know, I think that's a really big deal. If he, he ends up coming out here, um, uh, you know, there's no saying if he would eventually commit, but that was another thing where Oregon's offensive line recruiting, that was a big question mark coming in. Um, I think Adrian Clem has shown the fans, obviously with the signing of Josh Connerly and that whole recruitment, but you know, getting a player like Okamola out here, you know, getting other four-star offensive linemen like Miles McVeigh, who was here uh, two weeks ago or a week ago. Um, I think the offensive line recruiting is in a good good spot. If I could, you know, specify on one spe- one area. We're, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we'll, we'll continue to discuss this um, spring game, and we'll discuss some players that we are excited to see play out. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Uh, spring game, 1 o'clock, Pac-12 Networks. Go to duckterritory.com throughout the weekend for full coverage, pre, in, and post game. Um, guys, it's an opportunity to see this team play 11-on-11 11 11 for roughly two hours of, of real time. Um, how much of that is actual gameplay? Un- unclear yet. Uh, they're going to play running clock, except in a couple situations. Um, so that will speed the game up a little bit. But this is an opportunity for us to see what 50 total plays of 11 on 11 um, yeah. during spring ball. So we'll see. This is the most we'll see all spring and, and players that we want to watch offensively. 
Um, I don't know if you guys are going to bring up quarterbacks. I feel like that's the easy answer. So I went away from that. I did not pick a quarterback. Um, I picked Sean Dollars. He's back from injury. He's the only scholarship running back on the yellow team. Uh, And there has been some positive discussions throughout spring ball. Lanning singled him out a couple times. I think Lachlan did as well. Um, A couple players have. Uh, I'm curious to see what he does. I'm curious to see his impact. Um, Byron Cardwell has been viewed as and should be viewed as the favorite to win the job. Um, But Dollars was a talented running back in his own right when he showed up and had some positive moments in 2019. So I'm excited to see what he can do. That was one. I I picked a handful of guys because I knew you guys maybe would pick the same ones. But that was also – I will say the yellow offense has all the guys I'm interested in, which I don't know if that was, that's probably just maybe where my interest lies, but I will pick one of the two remaining players I had on the yellow offense. And that's because I said it earlier and that's seven McGee. Um, and again, like I think just hearing him, maybe, maybe it's recency bias because we just spoke with him yesterday and what he had to say, like go, go watch the interview. Uh, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff there. I wrote a couple of stories on that about kind of how they plan on utilizing him and, it wasn't just the Chip Kelly kind of comparison for this offense. It was also the fact that he said, you know, when he was considering, you know, he put his name in the transfer portal and pulled it out within like 24 hours. And part of the reason behind that was the plan that was in place at Oregon that made it attractive to come back. And that plan is to utilize him everywhere on the field. And I'm not sure if we'll get to see, we probably won't, the totality of that, but just his playmaking ability in an offense that is built around getting guys in space like that could be really special. And again, I think just the fact that it feels like the stars of a line for him to maybe have a big moment or two here, just because again, his, his kind of idol, the guy everybody has you know compared him to growing up, Dan Thomas, he will be on the same sideline as him as the honorary offensive coordinator. I said that earlier, like it just feels like he's somebody who to kind of keep an eye on. And I, I know I'm certainly going to be following him in part because every time he touches the ball, I think the sense is he can do something special and, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see that happen because a year ago, we didn't really see a ton of this kid. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to have two answers. No so way. that's, that's your, you guys' fault for not having more than one. Um, we had three. I was, I, I was saving him. Well, you know, could have, could have picked them. Uh, but I'm going to start with the tight end room. I'm going to hold a group. So I'm going to cheat again. That's two times I'm cheating. Um, I'd like to just see how they're going to be utilized. We've heard a lot. We've talked to all three of the major tight ends in Spencer Webb, Maliki Montevall, and Terrence Ferguson. They have all said the same thing, that they're going to try to stretch the field vertically. Talk to tight end coach Drew Meringer. He says the same thing. I'd just like to see it on the field. Um, I think that was a group uh, that is severely underutilized. Um, Eric went through like a breakdown of the pass catchers many months ago, many moons ago, and they had one of like the worst statistical seasons in the last decade, if not the worst. I think it ended up being the worst. Um that's bad. And they have a lot of talent there. Terrence Ferguson is a natural pass catcher. Maliki Madoval is somebody who has the physical frame and the athletic ability to be a game-changing tight end. And Spencer Webb is a you know, a two or three-year returning starter who has talent, who has we've seen it on on the field, we've seen him perform. Um so that's a room in specifics that I want to see how they're going to be used. If they're going to use that two tight end set that they line up wide, um, I think that would be honestly like a game changing thing for Oregon to do, considering the player personnel that they would line up on the outside, which leads me to my actual single player prediction. 
or uh, you know person I want to see is that's Dante Thornton. Um, I think he can be in line to be a dude. Honestly, you know he's six five. He's added six to seven pounds of muscle this offseason. He clearly looks physically well put together. Um, you know he had flashes in the Alma Bowl, just like Hudson and just like uh, Troy Franklin as well. But um, just his length, his size, his speed puts him in a category by himself. And in terms of Kenny Dillingham's offense wanting to be or wanting to create one-on-one matchups, he's the guy I would want on the outside in a one-on-one matchup because his, again, his size and speed and skill are going to be really hard to, to stop in a one-on-one matchup. So those are my answers. Um, Maybe you guys will pick a couple on the defensive side. Well, can I, can I just say I, I, I did my fist bumps for those listening on the podcast. I have no idea, but those watching saw it maybe <laughs> uh, because the three players I had were Sean Dollar, Seven McGee, and Dante Thornton. And I, like I said, the yellow team is the fun team offensively. Yes. I think that's the one where they've got some dudes to watch and be excited about. And so I, I like that my, my three picks were the consensus picks here. That means I'm on to something. None of us picked quarterback. That's too easy. Yeah, too I think we're all the same way, yeah. It's that's why I did it, but I mean, I figured one of us would at least say, "Well, Take I was going to say quarterbacks, but I'll go into something longer." But yeah. um, defense, let's let's side here. I I had a hard time with this one. Um, I I didn't want to go Noah Sewell. We know what he can do. Um, I feel like Justin Flo. Is he going to play? Is he not going to play? That kind of factored into my decision there. Um, I just recently started doing 11-on-11 type stuff. So I I went DJ Johnson. And I I think the reason why I did that is he's full-time defense now. Um, Tosh Lupoy singled him out as like, have you seen him? Like, that's a defensive end, right? You know, automatic. He shouldn't be on tight end. He was almost like offended, it felt like that DJ was playing offense um, last couple of seasons. Uh, more uh, Drew, Drew uh, Mayringer, the tight ends coach, like that was when he, when he said, like, when I asked him, like, what are you looking for in your tight ends? What do you want them to be known for? Like the first thing he said is to be able to block DJ Johnson. Like, do you know how hard that is? Like, so to me, like there's a, there's a little bit of, of just, intrigue there of a lot of people have brought him up and when you when you see him he is definitely the first off the bus type guy um maybe the most physically imposing player Oregon has um and so for me I I I went with him I want to see what he can do I want to see what his role is going to be like not going to see sacks but I'm just curious to see what DJ Johnson will do you know, this is hard because on defense, it's almost more like who's playing. It's like yeah. more attendance related than like, because because I could, yeah. some of the guys mm-hmm. I'm most interested to watch aren't probably playing. Like, Brit, I don't, we don't expect Brand Dorless, Papa Amavai, Damon David, probably much Justin Flo at all, Keonwar Hudson. Um, Christian Gonzalez is probably iffy. Uh, I would definitely, Dante Manning, I would be very surprised if he plays considering the injury he suffered a couple weeks ago. So there's a lot, the, the, the I guess the list is kind of thinned. I've got one that's probably so far off the beaten path. I don't know if you know if I'm going to throw it out there, but I think I'll just say it. I've been really impressed with Trevin Maai. Uh, I know it's probably kind of an unexpected name, but like we've seen a lot of 
like some of the other names I was thinking of are players we've seen a lot of. And I, I guess there's a couple guys like the, the safety group. I'm really curious about how they work together, but like Bridges and, and Addison. But because of the injuries up front, like Maia has been a pseudo first team guy for portions of like, for what, what would you say the last week? It seems like he's been up there, Jared, maybe the last two or three times. Trevin? He's, he's been up there almost from the start. Yeah. Yeah. And physically, I think is the thing that stands out. Like I was, I was looking at photos um, from him from a year ago, even, and then comparing him to a shot that our photographer Jason Fairchild shot on Tuesday. I, I know we don't have updated weights. I think he's probably two sixty five now, it's somewhere in that mm-hmm. range. It looks like he's put on fifteen to twenty pounds, and and again, in part because there's so many injuries there. Like, I think he's somebody to kind of keep an eye on. Um, and again, I feel like it's a little off the beaten path. He's probably not a household name. Played quite a bit last year. He's now playing a defensive end role. He was playing outside linebacker. He was kind of Mace Funa's um, primary backup a year ago. Uh, and now we're seeing with a hand down, probably 10, 15 pounds, you know, maybe 15 pounds heavier. And I just think he's a name to know. I don't know if he's a player who will see start by the season's beginning, but like through spring, he's been somebody that's really kind of impressed me and just the physical change he's made. Yeah, this is, it's more of an attendance thing for the defense, um, and that includes the linebacking group. Uh, I expect Noah Sewell to play just because he's Noah Sewell and is like an Iron Man. It doesn't get hurt. Um, but Justin Flo is kind of a, it's a pretty big question mark. So I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten path as well. In my answer, I'm going to pick Jackson LaDuke. Um, he's 100% healthy. He's been floating between the first and second group on the field for defense at linebacker. Him and Jeffrey Bossa have basically been swapping back and forth of who's playing with Noah Sewell on the first group. Um, I've always liked his film. I've always liked how hard he plays. I've always liked that he has the prototypical linebacking mold for his body. Um, he, he looks in great shape. He's playing hard. He's playing physical. Um, I think, you know, he was a three-star recruit at a high school or maybe a four-star in the composite, but I I just like the way he plays and I want to see him get those extra reps with if Justin Flo doesn't play. Um, I, I, I just like his overall intensity. And I think that he could be somebody who kind of opens some eyes in the spring game. Like, wow, this, that 42, that guy is all over the place. Who is he? Um, so I, I'm, I'm just interested to see that linebacking core in general. So I think that was the more specific answer of the linebackers, but Harrison Tiger and Devin Jackson. I'd, I'd like to see them get some run too. Um, let's move over to some predictions now. Um, we do this for for games. We're gonna make some offense and defensive predictions. I'm not gonna pick who's gonna win um, in part because we don't even know the full team yet. Um, but offensive prediction for me, I'll, I'll lead off there. Um, I think we're gonna see more passing touchdowns than rushing touchdowns. I don't know how many total touchdowns we'll get or what the number would be like. I'm not going to try and guess from a passing standpoint, but I just think with some injury concerns in the secondary, I think we're going to, we're going to, and then I, I think this is a, a moment for the offense to really make a statement for recruits and for the fan base that, Hey, no, things are changing here. And they're not going to give away everything, but I, I just think we're going to see more touchdown passes than than rushing touchdowns in this game. Um, I think all three quarterbacks will throw a touch, at least one touchdown. Oh, I like that added piece at the end there. And you said all three, so we're not including AJ Abbott in that. 
No, scholarship quarterback. Sorry, AJ. Oh, dang. Our boy, AJ. Shame. Um, I, I, I'm kind of going – I'm going to go positive here because it would be kind of weird if I was, like, super negative on the spring game predictions for one time. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to trash. They're going to turn it over five times. It's going to be ugly. Um, I, I think the – you know, the, the talk so much about explosive plays and getting guys in space. I'm going to predict there's going to be three or more, quote, unquote, explosive plays during this. Um, and that, I'm, I'm defining that as 40 yards or more. So three plays of 40 yards or more. It could be run. It could be pass. It could be whatever. Um, but just that there's a little bit more of that, that. You know, in part because I think we saw the development of that in the Allen Bowl. Obviously, totally different scheme. But just mm-hmm. the ability to move the ball down the field a little bit more vertically um, through the passing game. Like, it clearly identified that there are players. Now I'm talking more passing game now than running game in general. But, like, there are clearly players capable of stretching the field. And I just think that we're going to see a little bit more opportunity to that. Um I, I'm encouraged so much, but again, kind of what Matt and I talked about at the beginning of the show of sort of what this offense is being talked about this week in particular, uh, speaking with some of the athletes. I, I just, I'm, I'm encouraged and I'm excited and I'm, I'm hopeful that this one comes true, that we see just, just a little bit more explosive offense. And so I'll say four, or sorry, three or more 40 yard plays. I will go more explosive offense as well. Um, I think this is a bad matchup for the secondary considering their injuries and Oregon's talent at wide receiver. With that being said, I'll have three wide receivers over a hundred yards today or on Saturday. I think they're just going to, I think they're going to show off that this is a pass heavier offense. They're still going to run it. Certainly um, you have running backs who deserve to get the football, but I think this is going to be a moment where, the offense and Kenny Dillingham kind of just take advantage of the fact that Oregon's might be without their starting cornerbacks for, to, for the game. So it's some, I, I don't know who it's going to be. It could be like a chase Coda 80 yard score, which gets them into the 100 territory. But I think it'll be at least three guys are going to come down with a hundred yards if they play enough reps. Um, they, yeah. It's just going to be an explosive offensive day and Oregon's defense is going to try their hardest, but I think their passing attack and just who isn't and who is playing is just going to limit them defensively. Defensive predictions here. Um, partly because I don't know how much Noah Sewell is going to play. I think Jeffrey Bostel will play quite a bit, but um, I'm going to go Jamal Hill or Bennett Williams will lead the team or will lead the spring game in total tackles. Um, I think these guys play important positions within the defense. Um, and so I am going to say one of those two players will lead the team in tackles. It, or maybe I'll change it more so like a linebacker won't – a scholarship linebacker won't lead the team in tackles. It'll be Bennett or Jamal. It's kind of hard with some of the defense stuff because I'm thinking about all the players that probably aren't playing. And so I, right. was, I, yeah. was, I was in my head like, well, maybe I'll say the Oregon defense holds the running backs to below four yards per carry or something. And then I'm like, wait, like the three best down linemen are out. And then it's like, yeah. well, maybe, they'll, maybe, the, maybe they'll limit the receivers. And it's like, well, the two best corners are probably out. So it, it is sort of hard to kind of make a prediction here of like a thing that I think is really going to happen. I'll, I'll just say, I think – and in part because like, I do want to highlight Bridges and Addison and their length out there and how impressive they've been this spring. Don't do it. Jared, try not do it. I'm just no, going to say do that. You just, just steal mine. Well, I'm going to take yours, Jared, then, it's, yeah, because unfortunately fine. it's just a byproduct of the order we go in. I get to go first. You go last every time. Sorry. Makes the predictions tough. Um, 
I'm predicting one of those two guys makes an interception. <sighs> there, there it is. One of the one of those two safeties who've been at the top of the you know pecking order all spring, long, lean, athletic guys, guys who haven't played this position and you know very regular basis the last couple of years, certainly not in crunch times. One of those guys makes makes an interception, makes a big play, and it might be frankly one of the few defensive turnovers forced, or it could be a day where there's a lot. But I just think those two guys have shown all spring to be playmakers, and I think they're going to have an opportunity to do that on Saturday. Sorry, Jared. That's okay. <laughs> It happens. Um, that was, yeah, that was that was what I was gonna was going to say. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll quickly try to chain and set an over under on the interception count. I'll set it at over or over under one and a half, and I'll take the over. I think there should be a couple interceptions, no more than three. But I think Trekwes Bridges or Ryan Addison are going to come away with one. Um, I think there's just going to be a lot of a lot of deep balls thrown and one of them might get underthrown and the length of Brian Addison and the length of Triclus Bridges is going to come into play and uh, should be should be an interesting day for the defense. This is a tough one to kind of predict. Not saying that they're going to be bad, but they are just going to be without a lot of name brand players that everybody associates the Oregon defense with. Let's deviate away from the show plan because there's nothing else after that. <laughs> That was I'm going to ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric, you didn't want to laminate on some negatives, but maybe this is a negative. I don't know. Um, what do you go, negatives 1st. on a sunny day in Eugene? Please. <laughs> May, May 1st is the deadline oh, no. for a player to transfer and become eligible at their next school for next season. Spring football will be over on the 25th. I just want to get this out there so that people are aware of it. There's probably going to be some transfers from Oregon and and maybe even to Oregon in the next week or so as guys try and make a decision of what they're you know going to do with their careers because that May 1st deadline really expediates things. And I think the spring game will give us a glimpse into maybe who sits where on – Maybe not necessarily the, the full depth chart, but who's in line to play, who's maybe not ready to play, and it could it could push some guys to to consider that portal. Yeah, the portal is just a part of it now, and it stinks because there are going to be guys that probably leave that people were high on. We've already seen that this spring. I mean, I think both Jeffers and Dennis were players that I I had pretty high expectations for what they could be, even as soon mm-hmm. as next season. Um, I, you're probably going to see a player or two leave that maybe people had kind of moved off of or kind of had not expected to be much, and that's going to be okay too. But, yeah, I know it's just part of the game now, and I don't know what the over-under is. I don't want to set it. I'm not going to oh, make sure. predictions. But, yeah, that will come into play, and I, I imagine that there will be, you know, we'll be writing some so-and-sos enter the transfer portal stories over the next two weeks, and we'll probably be writing some so-and-sos transfer to Oregon stories as well. Yeah, it's just a, it's a part of college football. Um, I, again, I'm a fan of the transfer portal. I know it, it sucks when a player leaves, but it also gives them an, an opportunity to go make a new opportunity somewhere. Um, that includes people who transfer to Oregon. Um, and again, it's it's a byproduct of um, the ability for these guys to pick and choose their school from the very get-go, and they still get that opportunity. Um, and, and again, Oregon is also going to get a lot of reinforcements over the summer with their the rest of their 2022 recruiting class. So it'll be 
I mean, it'll probably be a net of zero. It'll probably be either a net positive or a net of zero in terms of what the talent is coming in or leaving. Um, you know, there's some names that have left, already left, or maybe could leave. Um, you know, we've documented some of that in our in our practice reports of who is and who isn't here. Um, it's just going to happen, and that's how it's going to be, and that's that's okay because it's going to happen to every single program across the country. It is not just an Oregon problem. Yeah. It is not a problem in general. It is just how college football is now. It's going to be interesting to see it play out because um, it's. I think it's going to be a pretty busy couple weeks for the portal perspective. But uh, there will be lots to break down in the spring game. Next time you hear us or maybe even watch us, um, we'll be on – uh, Saturday afternoon or maybe Sunday morning when you wake up when we record our spring game recap uh, from Monson Stadium. Excited. It's been a while since we've been able to do a podcast in Monson Stadium. I'm assuming we are going to do that there. Um, excited to watch some football. And like as Jared mentioned, uh, it's a spring sunny day and the weather is turning. That's always a good thing. So uh, until the, the next time you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.